is faith to you? More importantly, what should our faith look like when it comes to seeking forgiveness and a relationship with our Lord? While it is a word that's used casually in many Christian circles, the application of it should be anything but. Welcome to A Walk in the Word, where we bring you the Sunday sermons from Providence Baptist Church Gaston's worship services. In this week's sermon, Pastor John Friedrich takes an example from Scripture to show us what this should look like. Let's join in as Pastor Friedrich preaches a message entitled, A Touching Faith, from Mark chapter 5. All right, good morning. It's good to be gathered around God's Word with everybody as we take a look at uh, this morning's verses and see what He has to say to us. As I said, we're going to be in Mark 5. We'll be reading verses 25 through 34. 25 through 34. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind, and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch it but his clothes, I shall be made whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the plague. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and, thou, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, and be whole of thy plague. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this day that we gather together and to celebrate you, to worship you, to praise you. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. Uh, despite our rebellion and sinfulness, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. We ask that you help us to prepare our hearts and our minds, that we might be receptive to whatever it is that you wish us to take from this message this morning, Lord. Help us to understand, help us to gain wisdom from it, help us to be changed by it. And Lord, I know I'm not worthy to be the one to stand here and present the message. I just ask that you take me and use me as you see fit, Lord. Take away anything uh, that could distract from the message, take away from it any distraction, selfishness, pride, whatever might get interfered with the ability to communicate what you have laid upon my heart. Lord, just take it away and make me your vessel, that I might be filled with your spirit and speak the words that only come from you. And Lord, as a church, help us to continue to make the right decisions moving forward. Let us always be in accordance with your will and your purposes. Let us be a beacon of hope to those that we reach. And Lord, help us as individuals to see opportunities to spread the gospel in this lost and dying world we live in. For we know the time is short and the fields are white for the harvest. And Lord, help us to continue to follow your path, to follow your will in our lives, and forgive us of the times that we've sinned against you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this morning we're looking at a story that we've looked at before, um, but there are many, many things that we can draw out of this particular passage. Um, it's a familiar passage to most people, and it's one that we can actually draw a great deal of inspiration and hope from. 
And when you read about it, it just seems like a few verses about a desperate woman that was in need of healing from Jesus. But the reality is, as is with the truth of so much scripture, it is a plethora, it is a huge amount of learning and uh, truth for us to take away from it. It's a story that models for us coming to faith, and it speaks very powerfully both of what our Lord expects from us and how he responds when it comes to our faith. And it's interesting how Mark uh, presents this narrative because he interjects it. Um, this is almost like the sequence of events as it occurred in the, during the time. There was one storyline that was going, one thing that was happening initially, and there's like almost inserted into the middle of this is this encounter with this woman. All right, so he interrupts one story to tell of another story that was going on. And you'll see that the flow almost seems to be interrupted. It's like we're going through one path and then boom, all of a sudden, this particular passage jumps out at us. <clears throat> the chapter begins with Jesus and the apostles. Uh, they're entering into the country of the Gadarenes, where, if you recall, they encountered the possessed man. The demoniac of Gadarenes is one that we had talked about before, where the man was possessed to the point where he was cutting himself, he was hurting himself, he was unable to be controlled by anybody. He was living in uh, out in the wilderness. And they, uh, when he's confronted by Jesus and asked, who is he? Then the demons respond that they are legion because they are many. So this is how the chapter starts out. And he, remember, he frees this man from the demons by sending the demons into um, a bunch of Pigs, basically, who 2,000 pigs who rushed down to the sea and drowned themselves. Uh, you you got to wonder for a second when you think about that. I wonder if that's where the idea of deviled ham came from. <laughs> just, just a thought. Anyway, Jesus instructs the man to go into Decapolis and tell of the great things that Jesus had done for him, how great a compassion he was shown. And then he and the apostles are on their way back across the Sea of Galilee. And once they arrive on the other side, Jesus is approached by one of the rulers of the synagogue. He is a man by the name of Jairus. Now, when we say he was one of the rulers of the synagogue, what is meant is he was one of the elders. He was one of the ones that was responsible for the care of the synagogue. Now, this itself is somewhat shocking because for Jairus to be among a group of men to approach Jesus, I mean, he was a amongst a, from a group of men that didn't think much of Jesus. They didn't care for him. And yet, Jairus, here he was, coming to Jesus and approaching him for help. And we see this sentiment in John 7, 46-48, where it says, The officers answered, Never a man spake like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? And this is the group that Jairus comes from, is the group that's saying, How can you be deceived by this man Jesus? Do you see any of us following him? And yet, here we are, Jairus has approached Jesus for assistance. So, as I said, it's somewhat shocking to see him coming to Jesus for help. But his daughter was sick. His daughter was very, very sick. And it's very often the case, when people find themselves in a desperate situation, they suddenly turn to divine, divine assistance, and suddenly they go from having absolutely no use for God, no use for faith or religion, uh, to asking someone they know has faith to go to God on their behalf. 
So anyway, Jairus comes to Jesus seeking healing for his daughter who is very sick, almost to the point of dying, as scripture tells us. So Jesus and his apostles begin to follow Jairus to his house. And along the way, we are told that there's a massive group of people that are following along with them. Jesus had attracted quite a crowd. So there were people all around him, hustling and bustling, bumping into him. Um, and he was being bumped and jostled all along this path that they were taking to Jairus' house. Now, and amongst the crowd, amongst all these people, was a woman. A desperate woman. A woman who was very sick and an unclean woman at that. Who in her mind had one goal. One mission. She has decided that Jesus was her only hope. Her only hope for healing. She has learned that Jesus holds the promise of healing and a new life. A life free from what had rendered her unclean in the first place. A life that had caused a tremendous amount of suffering on her behalf. So what does she do? She sets out. A woman on a mission. She sees the crowd in the distance. So she hurries and she muscles into this crowd and works her way through the crowd to catch up. Not sure where they're going, but she knows she has got to find Jesus in amongst the masses. So finally she catches up with them. Catches up with the group. She bumps and jostles her way through the crowd, looking for the one who gives hope. Finally she sees him. She sees Jesus in this crowd. So she makes an even more concerted effort to work her way through to, to get to the object of her mission. She feels the anticipation as she gets close and then she reaches out and she touches just the hem of his garment. Doesn't even touch him, touches his clothing. And she feels the healing just pulsing through her. She can feel her body begin to heal. And suddenly she realizes that the greatest hope and dreams have been satisfied by this man. And as she's basking in the exhilaration of her new self, when she's exhilarated and she's excited and she's thinking, I'm finally healed. And she begins to turn and walk away. Her heart drops as she hears the man call out, Who touched my clothes? And can you imagine? She just got everything that she came for. She was healed of something that had plagued her and dogged her for a long time. Everything that she, her faith was put into had come to fruition. And suddenly as she's walking away, somebody is challenging what she did. Or so it appeared. So she freezes in her tracks. And the crowd suddenly stands there thinking, you know, they're bewildered. They're realizing that everybody had been bumping into her. Everybody or into him. Everybody had been touching his clothes. They'd all been jostling and walking along him. Now let's stop for a second. Let's go back to how this whole started. And take a look at it from Jairus' perspective. Jairus had asked Jesus to come heal his dying daughter. They were on a path, they were walking, they were on their way to go heal his daughter who lay near death. And suddenly, Jesus stops worried about who touched his clothes. Can you imagine their, him being so perplexed? He was stunned, probably. Stunned that they were stopping for what seemed to him to be such an insignificant event. After all, everybody was bumping into him. He was in a crowd, mind you. 
I don't know, but we know that Jesus stopped for a reason. Jairus was probably standing there speechless, like, what is going on? But the reason that Jesus would stop amongst this path, knowing that he was going to heal Jairus' daughter, and, that's, and this is a whole other sermon in and of itself, Jesus knew what he was going to do. Jesus knew he was in control. Jesus knew he had that whole circumstance and that situation in his power. So he wasn't concerned. Jairus might have been, but Jesus wasn't. But that's a whole other sermon for another day. As I said, this passage is just rich with lessons. But anyway, Jesus had a purpose for his stopping. Jesus had a point to make in calling the situation into public attention. So that's where I want to begin this morning. That's where I want to take a look at, okay, why was this such a significant event? What was so uh, uh, powerful about this particular incident that Jesus felt the need to stop on the way to heal a dying woman to bring attention to what had happened? And the first reason we find from this is that God desires that our faith be made public. God desires that our faith be made public. Understand something. Our faith, by its very nature, is public. We cannot practice our faith in accordance with the means in which Jesus expects us to in private. I know we discuss a number of times the meaning behind the believer's baptism. But we must keep in mind the purpose and the most prominent of these things is to make it publicly known to come out and tell everybody I have chosen to live in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the woman in the passage this morning no doubt would have been perfectly content to take her healing and wander off in anonymity. None, unbeknownst to anybody else. Go about her way that way. But once we've been healed by Jesus spiritually, physically. This is where it appeared on the surface with the woman, where Jesus was really getting to both the woman as he does with us. He was not satisfied that the woman would remain anonymous. She might have been okay with it, but Jesus is like, no, we are going to make a lesson out of this. We are going to show everybody what has just happened. We're going to let them make them aware of it. I wonder how anyone, when you think about it though, how could anyone be satisfied to receive the grace of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins and to be okay with just tucking it away and going about their business like nothing ever happened? How is that possible? I don't know how anybody could be forgiven of their sin and live their life as if everything was the same as it was before. A man, a man or a woman that is true, or boy or girl, is truly saved, is going to want to pe let people know. God intends for us to respond to His grace, to respond to His mercy, and that's why the first command given to new believers is to be baptized. It makes our faith public and celebrates the new life we've received through Christ. 
Notice the statement by Peter in one of the first sermons when the church in Jerusalem was just becoming a prominent thing. In Acts 2.38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and all ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. When Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch went through the scriptures and the eunuch was saved, he recognized the importance of the one act, the public display of the new life upon accepting Christ. And he asked Philip this. Acts 8.36 And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me from me to be baptized? So we see that baptism is significant enough that even Jesus himself was baptized as an example that we might follow in obedience. So, what gives then? What's so wrong with getting saved that we might be content to worship, celebrate and serve God and live our lives in complete anonymity? Blending in with the crowd, not standing out. I mean, Jesus knows we're saved. And it's not like we have to prove ourselves to anyone else, right? <clears throat> well, the most fundamental and glaring reason for us to make our faith public comes really down to the reason why we exist at all. And I've said this many times, and that is that we exist to glorify God. It is our purpose in life to glorify the Lord. You see, God is glorified in people seeing what Jesus has done in our lives. God is glorified when people see someone who had lived their lives as a slave to sin suddenly drop those shackles and live in complete freedom from bondage. We've got to remember that while God certainly did love us enough to send His Son to die a substitutionary death for us, ultimately it was for His glorification. Now how can that happen if we keep our salvation a secret? If we keep it private? But there's yet another underlying reason that comes to mind when you think about it. Requiring us to make a public profession of faith emphasizes the necessity of evangelism. I mean, think about it. After baptism, what is the one thing that is stressed for a believer to do above all else? What is the one thing that Jesus Christ told his followers before he ascended back to heaven? The thing that is probably the single most important thing that we as believers can do. To witness to others the saving power of Jesus Christ. To evangelize. To point others to the salvation of our Lord and Savior. How many people do you know that share their testimony and keep it to themselves? You can't do it. <laughs> For others to know, it has to become public. For us to be evangelized, to us to tell others about salvation, our faith must be public. So like I said, our faith by its very nature is a public faith. It is not something that is private. So Jesus calls out the woman and requires her to publicly state her faith and his ability to heal her. It's an interesting thing that Jesus does here when you think about it. He was walking in a crowd of people where there were people constantly bumping into him, constantly touching him. So when he called out to know who 
was who touched his clothes, even his apostles were, were perplexed. They were confused. It's like, what do you mean who touched you? <laughs> there are people all around you. Everybody is touching you. That's why they turned to Jesus and basically said, everybody's there. Everybody's bumping into you. But Jesus knew of the touch because it said that he felt the virtue leave out of his body as a result of a touch of faith. And he wanted this act and the result of that act to be made public. He wanted her faith to be public and her to admit publicly about her faith. The second thing we take away from this passage is that we must recognize the need we have and we must seek that, follow that seek, or, uh, acknowledgement. You know, the woman took some enormous risk in doing what she did. According to Scripture, this woman had no business touching anyone, let alone someone like Jesus Christ. According to Levitical law, a woman with an issue of blood was unclean, was considered unclean from society's standpoint. And anything she touched became unclean. According to Levitical law, read in Leviticus 15, 25-28. or 28. It says, And if a woman have an issue of her blood many days out of the time of her separation, or if it run beyond the time of her separation, all the days of the issue of her uncleanness shall be as the days of her separation. She shall be unclean. Every bed whereon she lieth, all the days of her issue shall be unto her as the bed of her separation. And whatsoever she sitteth upon shall be unclean as the uncleanness of her separation. And whatsoever, whosoever toucheth these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and unclean until the even. You see, she was considered, it was almost like she was a leper. She was almost into that status level where she had to be separated from society because they considered her unclean based on her medical condition. So, think about this. She took a huge risk bumping in to this crowd, muscling her way through the crowd, knowingly that, knowing that she was going to touch other people. And what's more, knowing that she was going to touch the one that had the power to heal. So technically, according to the Levitical law of the day, every, some, everybody she touched would become unclean. So what would drive this woman to take such a huge risk, knowing that she was doing something that was violating a Levitical law? She had come to a point where she recognized that Jesus was the only hope that she had. She finally came to a point in her life where she says, Jesus is all I've got. He is the only place where I can find hope. We're told in our verses this morning that she tried everything else. She had already gone through all the worldly solutions to her problem. She had burned through her life savings going to doctors of the day, trying the various remedies that they had prescribed without any success. She had tried all this world had to offer, but now there was nothing left. Nothing left to reach out to that she could offer her hope in her desperation. Please don't miss the significance of her actions here in light of where we stand today. The women, woman recognized she was unclean. She knew it. This wasn't anything foreign to her. 
And yet she was willing to risk everything to find Jesus. Think of the parallels there. What's more is when she, Jesus called her out publicly, forcing her to acknowledge before everyone that was there that day that she was unclean. So not only did she recognize within herself she was unclean and that she needed Jesus, Jesus, in calling her out, made her stand there before this entire crowd, admit that she was unclean and that she needed Jesus Christ. I know a lot of people, are, particularly younger kids, are hesitant to step forward and go to the altar when they give, decide to give their life to Jesus Christ, when they decide to, that Jesus has transformed them. Because they're hesitant, they don't want to have to go up in front of everybody admitting that they need Jesus Christ, admitting that they're sinners, they're unclean, and that Jesus is their only recourse and their only hope. But is that not the very same thing that Jesus forced this woman to do? To admit before everybody that she is unclean and that Jesus is the solution? We need not be hesitant to admit that. Jesus put her in a position where she had to. We know that we're imperfect. We know that we're sinful, unrighteous, unworthy. We have no right to lay claim to Jesus, to reach out to Jesus. We are not deserving of that. And yet, despite these truths, when we cry out to Him in faith, acknowledging that we are unclean, He will heal us spiritually. He will heal us of our sin, forgive us of our sins, and call us into His presence. Yeah, but there's another aspect to this particular point that we, we can't go past without talking about. The woman simply being in the crowd and marveling at the wonders of Jesus would not have been sufficient. You know, there was a lot of people following Jesus that day. Large crowd. She could have just come around him and say, Wow, look at Jesus. Surely I get healed just by being with the crowd, right? Surely I will find some privilege, some benefit from just following along with the crowd that is attracted to Jesus. I'm sure there were many, many people that day that witnessed the other miracles that Jesus may have done and felt like, you know, that's a pretty good cause. That seems like a good, uh, a good purpose to, to kind of be a part of, be part of this new thing that's going on. They found some solace, perhaps, in being around those that liked Jesus, that were witness to his miracles, knew that there was something special about this man. Oh yeah, they felt, a lot of them in this, were in this category. And many were in the crowd that surrounded him as he called out to the woman, but we do not see a one of them being told their faith has, being, has made them whole, as the woman was. You see, there's very, something very significant we need to take away from this. And it applies just as much today, maybe even more so. There are a lot of people that like the idea of religion. They marvel at the stories of this man Jesus. They probably even believe he existed and that his stories are, are true. They sit in the pews and the chairs of the churches all around the world and they sing the songs, they listen to the sermons, and they think, this is really good stuff. I like what I'm hearing. 
They like being around the people who feel the same way and maybe even feel good about doing some work around the church or serving in some capacity through activities or events. But something very, very important is missing. You see, it would not have been enough for the woman to simply join the crowd and say, yeah, this is pretty cool. I want to be a part of this. This man is really something special. I want to be in the crowd. I want to be a part of his following. Simply being around Jesus or the things of him would never, ever be enough to bring her healing. Nor is it today. It isn't even enough to believe that Jesus lived and died. Even believing that he maybe even said who he was. You see, even the devil and the demons recognize he is who he is. They believe who he is. They know who he is. This is the kind of thinking that James was warning people about in James 2.19. He says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils believe and tremble. You see, James was saying, well, great. You believe that there's a God. You believe that there is one God. You believe that this man is God, perhaps. But even the devil believes that. And he is certainly not in a position of being saved. Mere proximity, near association will never be enough. Mere acknowledgement, mental acknowledgement, will never suffice. We must acknowledge our need as sinners without hope before a holy God and profess our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins in order for our faith to be found acceptable. Remember the warning that Jesus gave regarding simply being around the things of God, participating in the things of God, but doing never, never actually doing anything to come to that point of saving faith? We've talked about this passage many, many times that it cannot be stressed enough. It is a warning to those who are in churches today thinking that that is sufficient. Matthew 7, 22 and 23. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, the work iniquity. Association is not sufficient. Can you imagine hearing those horrific words in the day of judgment? Yeah, you were in church a lot, all the time. The doors were open, you were there. Yeah, you participated in church events. You helped around the church. Prayer groups, study groups. But you know what? You never had a relationship with me. You never really knew me. Because I didn't know you. Those are horrific words for a life that was perhaps spent in church. And I know that so many people today sitting in churches across the world who are going to hear those words. This was a warning from Jesus. That you need to put your faith in Him, not be associated with Him alone. Do not find yourself in this place when you stand before Christ in the day of judgment. Come and acknowledge your need for forgiveness of sins before God. Recognize that you can't do anything of your own power to make yourself acceptable to God. Cry out to Jesus in faith. Go to great extremes to throw yourself upon the healing powers of Jesus. You might say, well, you don't know what I've done in my life. Well, guess what? 
I may not understand everything that you've done, but I do understand one thing, that God has the power to heal every sin. With the only exception being rejection of His Son, Jesus Christ. And that is a choice. There are so many things that we try to do to make ourselves acceptable to God when the very simplest of things is what it takes. The last thing we take away from this is that God honors an imperfect faith of all who come to Jesus. You know, the woman who came to Jesus really didn't quite have the kind of faith that that we would consider perfectly aligning with what we normally accept. Okay? Her faith was almost kind of superstitious at its core. This magic hymn that we're going to touch. So on the surface, it kind of seems like, well, she thought that the clothes had some sort of magic in them. So when we look at it from that perspective, her faith might have seemed somewhat superstitious. She was essentially seeking a cure based on magic. If I can just touch his clothes. I mean, she had no idea that Jesus, the power, it was actually Jesus' alone, and that Jesus would actually sense the use of his power to bring about healing. Her faith was uninformed. It was presumptuous. But it was real. Her faith in Jesus was real. And that's the kind of faith that God will honor when placed in Jesus. See, He honors a sincere faith, an imperfect faith from a sincere heart when the object of that faith is Jesus Christ and the power that He holds to offer forgiveness and healing. Truthfully, her kind of thinking was really not that uncommon of the day. If you look back in the Old Te- or New Testament, we'll see similar kinds of thinking. Uh, Acts 5.15 is a perfect example. It says, Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets, they laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. You see, the thinking was even so far uh, out there that they thought that just the shadow of Peter, one of Jesus' apostles, passing by and crossing over them would be enough to heal. So this mindset was one that was common of the day. Many thought they could find healing in the shadows, the garments, even napkins that had been touched by the apostles or by Jesus. But understand, the power doesn't come from any of those things. The power was in Jesus alone. The true power came in the faith they had in Jesus Christ. And Jesus honored this faith. Matthew 14, 36. And besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Jesus responded to the faith of these individuals. Regardless of whether it was perfectly in line with what was expected. So you might be struggling with understanding this. You might think that, well, I don't know all enough scriptures to to find faith in Jesus Christ. You might not understand the language of faith, the meaning of scripture, the traditions behind scripture. You might not even be sure how to act. But understand this today. This is very, very simple. So simple that a child can understand and believe. If you will confess your sins before God, 
If you will acknowledge your need for a Savior, stand before God, say, God, I know I am a sinner. I know I have offended you with my actions of rebellion and disobedience. And God, I know there's not a thing that I can do about it in my own power. God, I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ has the power to forgive my sins, has the power to heal my sinfulness. Believe that He went to the cross, paid the price for your sins, took on the full weight of the sins of the world, suffered the full weight of God's wrath as a result, died, rose again three days later. That is the kind of faith that will bring about salvation. That is the kind of faith that will give a, get a response from Jesus that says, Thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace. Are you seeking the healing of God today? Those that are here, perhaps at the sound of my voice, are you seeking out Jesus Christ today? Do you, have you felt the leading of the Holy Spirit to tell you to follow Jesus? To recognize your desperate position before God outside of the healing and forgiveness that only Jesus can offer. Why not follow the example that we have in scriptures? Why not see that Jesus has the answers? That Jesus has the power to forgive, the power to offer the healing? And give your life to the one that offers salvation. Let's stand as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come before your throne once again this morning, we thank you for the truths that we have seen in your scripture today. Lord, we thank you for the ability to have these examples that you have provided for us to show us the needs in our faith in order for it to be real, for it to be genuine, for it to be one that changes us. Lord, help us to examine our faith. Help us to examine our place before you and ask ourselves, are we in the position that someday we are going to stand before you in judgment and hear those awful words of Jesus, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you? Or is our faith in a place where we'll hear those other words, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Help us to recognize, have we placed our faith in that which is true and, and genuine? Have we placed our faith in Jesus Christ? Or have we placed our faith in association, in good deeds, in living a good life? Help us to discern the difference, Lord, that our, for, our eternity will be forever with you and not forever separated from you. Have your will and way in all those that are represented here or at the sound of my voice, Lord. Lord, we love you and praise you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in next time for another Walk in God's Word. Podcasts are available in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, CastBox, Downcast, and Beyond Pod. Search for and subscribe to 
Providence Baptist Church, space hyphen space, Gaston Sermons. Until next time, may God bless you as we await his joyful return. Hi, this is John Friedrich, pastor of Providence Baptist Church. It's my prayer that our time together has helped you grow in your walk with God, or maybe he's even used it to guide you to discover the wonderful gift of salvation. If you're ever in our area, we would love for you to come worship with us. Our address is Providence Baptist Church, 977 Metafield Road, Gaston, South Carolina, 29053. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so through our website at www.providencembcgaston.com or email us at providencembcgaston at gmail.com. Again, thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to you joining us next time as we take a walk in the Word.